book of Job. Hallelujah. Almost didn't recognize Zach back there. Looking good, man. Praise the Lord, man. Amen. I'm excited about the Word of God tonight. We are continuing uh, a series that we started teaching a while back on theology and daily life. Theology and daily life covering various subjects. And tonight we're going to talk about suffering in daily life. Suffering in daily life. Okay, the theology of suffering in daily life. Will y'all pray for me? Okay. Job chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Job chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Praise the Lord. It says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went out and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Which comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect man, an upright man, and one that feareth God, and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy words. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Real quick, I'm going to just give uh, credit to some theologians, doctors of theology, and then I'll get into the Word of the Lord. All right, Don, uh, Dr. John Walton, Old Testament genres.
Dr. David Baker introducing the Old Testament poetry and prophecy. Dr. Mark Potato, uh, Old Testament structure and story. And then Dr. K. Scott Oliphant uh, on apologetics. All right? So, give credit where credit is due. Amen. Now, when we come to the book of Job tonight, oftentimes when we start suffering in our life, we think about the book of Job. And we think the book of Job is about suffering. It's written to teach us about suffering. But it is not written to teach you about suffering. Although there is great suffering in the book. Okay? It's not written this. It is to show you how that Satan challenges God's policies. Amen? First of all, the Scripture is showing us here a man named Job from the land of Uz. The Bible declares to us, there is no question that this man is a man that fears God. The Bible tells us right from the beginning that Job feared God. And the Bible says also that he was perfect and that he was upright before the Lord. Okay? That's settled. And then you go down a little bit further, and then God says in verse 8, The Lord said unto Hasatan, or Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and echeweth evil? So right off in the book of Job, it's already established. Here, right in the first chapter, and then throughout the book of Job, and then at the end of the book of Job, it is an established fact that this man is perfect before the Lord. He hates evil. He's righteous. He fears God. So in a sense, when we see what is going on in Job's life, when we say Job is being tested, what do we mean by that? It doesn't mean that He's being tested in the area of his fear for God, his righteousness, okay, his godliness, because it's already declared right from the beginning that he is all of those things. So that when Satan comes before the Lord in the heavens, are y'all here with me? He is going to accuse, look at verse 9. Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? What the test is about is not whether or not this man is a man of God and fears God and serves God. Okay? The test then from Satan is about his motive. See, that, that's the point of the book of Job. The test is about the motive of Job, not any of the other things. Okay? And all of a sudden, this man, Job, 
begins to go through a very difficult time in his life. And it's the established fact, according to God, according to His Word, who this man is. Okay? That's not being tested here. His fear of God's not being tested. His perfect standing before God is not being tested. His uprightness is not being tested. His perfection is not being tested. The man is all of that. Satan comes clearly before God and says, Does Job serve you for nothing? So the test then is about motive. Alright, y'all here with me? Now when you study the book of Job, you're going to see it broke down this way. Sort of like a sandwich, okay? The first two chapters of the book of Job. Now I'm not preaching. I'm not starting a new series on Job. I'm taking a message from Job tonight. The first two chapters of Job is known as the prologue. And that's where Satan tests Job concerning motive. That's called the prologue. Prologue just simply means the beginning statements, okay? It's the introduction, if you will. And then at the end, there is what is called an epilogue. That's chapter 38 through 42, and that's God speaking. In between those, you with me here? Okay. No, epilogue, I'm sorry. Epilogue is a conclusion, 42, 5 through 17. So let me back up again. First and second chapter is the prologue. It's the introduction to Job. Job is being tested. Okay? And then at the end of the story, it's called the epilogue, which means the conclusion of the story. How did it turn out? And that's Job 42, 5-17. So that's the two pieces of bread. Okay? In between that, you have what you might call the meat. Here's the breakdown. Okay? Job chapter 1 and 2, he's tested. That's when he loses his wealth. That's when he loses his children. That's when he loses his cattle, his sheep. Just about everything he has, okay? Uh, he loses his health. He doesn't lose his wife. He gets to keep her. That's not a bad thing. Okay. And so, okay, really, it's kind of a serious story here, y'all. Okay. So having lost everything, this man is going through a great period of suffering in his life. Okay, seriously. Now, Job doesn't know what's going on. He's on the earth. He doesn't know what's going on in the heavens. And then while Job is going through these things and losing all of these things, and he begins to question God. Theodicy. Theodicy. T-H-E-O-D-I-C-Y. Theodicy. He begins to question God as to why is He going through these things if He is a righteous man. Okay? And then so he speaks in chapter 3, having lost all of these things in his life. He speaks in chapter 3, and then after chapter 3, his three friends show up. 
Well, they've showed up, but his three friends begin to speak to him. Okay? Now, the three friends are Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And then later on, there's going to be another guy that shows up. His name is Elihu. Alright? Say with me. Bildad, Eliphaz, Zophar, Elihu. Or, Jonathan Lemons, Timothy Contreras, Thomas Pareto, and Mark House. In my case. Miserable comforters. Are they all? So anyway, Job speaks in chapter 3, and then the friends come along, and they're there to support Job as well And in this conclusion. I'm going to talk about it tonight. What is their theology? Now, I know these are big terms, but just hang in with me, okay? His friends speak from, uh, after Job speaks in chapter 3, from 4, chapter 4 through chapter 27. Then Job speaks again, Job 28 through 31. Then his friends speak again, Job 32 through 37. And then God shows up and speaks a speech from 38 to 42. Okay? And now 42, the last part, 5 through 17, is the conclusion what happens to Job. So again, the key verse here is the motive. What? Why is Job serving God? So Satan comes before the Lord and he's accusing Job, he's testing Job, he wants to test Job in the area of why a person would serve God. So Satan says, Job is serving you for for naught. Which means, the reason why he's serving you is because of what he gets out of it. Which means retribution. Okay? All the way through the Bible, there is this teaching of retribution. I know this, you're already getting bored, but this is, you need this, okay? Retribution is this, and the Bible teaches it. That the righteous are blessed. And the wicked are cursed. That's throughout the Bible. Correct? You with me here? How many of y'all believe the righteous are blessed and the wicked are cursed? Okay? Which means if you're right in your life with God, then you can expect just by the fact that you're right, being right and living right, to experience right. Okay? Basically, if you're a good, doing good, then you can expect to receive good in life. Correct? If you're bad, then you can expect to receive bad in your life. That's called retribution. That is in the Bible. You would be surprised how most of us, including your pastor, live with that one concept of God called retribution. Okay? Every one of us tonight in this church, let yourself be affected by retribution. Which means this. As long as I'm doing right, 
Good things should be happening to me. Period. You know, because I'm on the right side. I'm on God's side. And if I'm on God's side, and I'm living right, that means I should expect good things to come. Amen? How many of y'all believe that? Yeah, sure. Come on. Don't act like I'm, I'm so holy I don't think like that. Oh, yeah. Everybody in this church believe in retribution. That if you do right, you live right, you live godly, live the way you're supposed to live, then you are going to experience some good things, some blessings in your life. Amen? On the other hand, you expect if you're living bad, what do you expect if you're being bad and living bad? Bad things are coming to me. Right? Oh, don't look at me like that. Which means then, if you're living for the Lord and you're living right and godly, okay, and then all of a sudden, you start experiencing bad, you start questioning what is going on. Because I here I am, I'm trying to serve the Lord, and I'm living right, and these people in the world, they don't care nothing about God, and I'm serving God, and it seems like, you know, bad one bad thing after another is coming to me. How does this work? How can I be a right person, a right righteous person, and yet I'm experiencing bad things because that's supposed to only happen to bad people. Okay? So Satan comes along to challenge the policies of God Almighty by putting Job to the test concerning his motive. And basically what Satan is saying is, God, it's not a good ideal for you to bless the righteous. When Job starts suffering and he starts losing everything, you could call it bad, then he in turn questions God. In a sense, he would say this, it's not good for the righteous to suffer. So let me repeat myself. The devil would say, it's not good, God, for you to bless the righteous because they're going to live for you out of a wrong motive then. And their righteousness is not going to be real. It's not going to be genuine because they stand to gain something from it. So that's the devil challenging God's policy here. In the sense, it's not good, God, for you to bless the righteous because you don't know their motive then. And then Job says, here all these bad things are happening to me and God, it's not good for you to allow the righteous to suffer. Because remember, retribution? That's what Job believed in. And that's what his buddies believed in. When they show up and they start talking to Job, they say, Job, hmm, there must be something really wrong in your life. <laughs> because we believe in retribution. And Job, if you were a righteous man, then good would be happening to you. But because these bad things are happening to you, 
That means that there has to be something wrong in your life. And Job reaches up and scratches his head and he says, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm innocent. I don't understand because I get what you're saying. That if I'm righteous, good things must be happening to me and all that's been happening to me is bad things. I don't understand it either because that's what I believe. And so his friends are there to try to support this, this law of retribution in saying, Job, if you're experiencing bad things, it's because you're bad. And you, you know, it's a secret sin that you're committing. And Job is trying to tell them, I haven't committed any secret sin. I'm an innocent man. And God Himself had declared that at the beginning and throughout the book that there wasn't anything wrong with the man's life. He was righteous before God. But he was still suffering. And he couldn't understand why if he was right, if he was on God's side, then how could all of these bad things be happening to him if he's on the right side? He should only be experiencing good things, no bad things, no suffering. But instead, these bad things are happening to him. So he begins to question God. And it's okay for you to question God. But it's not okay for you to fight God. It's not okay for you to attack God. But I will repeat myself, it is okay for you to question God about what is going on here. So he begins to question God about why God would allow him to go through this in his life. If God really was a God of love, and if God was a God who had all power, that means if God loves me, He won't let me go through this. And if God is all powerful, that means He's got the power to stop my suffering anytime He wants to. But I don't see God, this omnipotent God that I believe in. I'm speaking on behalf of Job. I don't see this omnipotent God that I believe has all power. I don't see Him stopping my suffering. And I don't understand why He doesn't come and stop my suffering. If He's really all powerful, how could He allow me to continue to suffer like this? Because I know He can step in anytime He wants and I know He can stop this anytime He wants and I know He can do something about this anytime He wants but He's not doing it. And I know He's omnipotent. But there doesn't seem to be any justice with God is where Job is. So he questions the justice of God are you with me as these evil and bad things are happening here? Have you ever been in a place in your life when you suffered so much and you're wondering where the justice of God is? Why doesn't God come and, and stop the suffering that I'm in? I know He can. He's got the power. He can stop it. And justice can come if He would choose to do so. And I know He loves me. But sometimes it doesn't feel that way because He lets me keep on suffering. And I don't understand it. Because I thought, if I'm good, I'm going to experience good. If I'm bad, I'll experience bad. But I'm doing what's right. And I'm experiencing bad. And I don't understand it. 
I don't understand how a loving God can allow evil to continue in this world. I don't understand how God who has all power will allow, stand back and allow all the suffering and the pain, not just in my life, but in the nations of the world. When I see people suffer, why didn't God step in and stop it? He's got the power to do it. If He's a God of love, then how can He allow evil to continue in this world? And so this term theodicy is, is a theological term which means theos, God, and decay de- means God's justice. And so there is a great conflict in Job's mind about the justice of God in the presence of an evil world. How can God be a God of love and a God of all power and not do anything about the evil that's here? Why doesn't He stop it? Why doesn't He stop the suffering? Because good people are not supposed to suffer. Only bad people are. But yet this man is suffering greatly. And I tell you, every one of you here tonight, you live with that law of retribution in your mind, in the back of your mind. Because at the moment... You, you're living for God and you're serving God and you're a child of God. All of a sudden, things begin to fall apart around you. And you can't figure out what in the world is going on. And it doesn't seem justice is coming forth. Things are being done to you. Maybe said about you that you don't deserve. And nobody's doing anything about it. God's not doing anything about it. And you just can't figure out what is going on here, God. Can't you stop it? Can't you bring justice to this situation? And most of us, again, I'm telling you, that's the way we live. We live with this. And it's okay because it's biblical. Retribution is the truth. I can expect if I live righteous to be blessed by God. I can expect if I'm evil to experience the curse of God. But what I'm trying to tell you is that that one teaching of retribution You have to understand it doesn't fit in every occasion. It's not one shoe fits all. Sometimes the wicked prosper. And sometimes the righteous will suffer. Are y'all here with me right now? And if you're a child of God and you're in any kind of pain or suffering right now, if it's long term, maybe you've questioned God. God, I know you can step in. I know you can heal my body, but I've been sick for years. God, I know you can step in and you can give me a million dollars, but you're not doing it. And so there's a battle that is going on here. And I'm just telling you, brothers and sisters, that God is a God of love and He has all power. But to think that He's controlled only by retribution is wrong. This world is a very complex world. There are a lot of things that are going on in this world that we don't understand. And you and I don't have the privilege to see into the heavens. We didn't know. Job didn't know. His friends didn't know what was going on in the heavens. How that Satan was challenging the policies of God. 
And it was Job that was just the test or the pawn that was used to challenge God in his retribution. Does Job serve God for nothing? No, Satan said. The reason why he serves you is because he gets a paycheck out of it. The reason why he serves you is because you keep blessing his life. If you'll take all of that away, if you'll remove the hedge and let me touch everything he's got, the Satan said he will curse you to your face. Satan is saying it's not good, God. Your policies are not good because it doesn't reveal that the person is really righteous because you just keep doing so many good things for them. And that's why they live for you. But if you stop doing good things for them, they'll stop worshiping you. They'll stop serving you. They'll stop praying. They'll stop going to church. They'll stop being on fire. They'll stop reading their Bibles. They'll stop winning souls. If you don't let them have it their way, if you don't come and do what they want you to do, if you don't manifest their your power and stop the suffering that they're in, if you don't show them that you love them by doing something for them, they will no longer serve you. And God says, okay, we'll put this whole policy on trial as to whether or not my people serve me just for what they can get out of me or not. And so the whole policy of God was put on trial there. And in the end, the Bible tells us, Scripture says, Job says, though he slay me, yet shall I trust him. Satan was proved wrong. Job wasn't just serving God because God would do things for him. I'm telling you, I'm preaching to some of you and this is a rebuke to some of you. A, re a, a categorical rebuke to some of you because when things didn't go your way, that's when you stop praising, when you stop worshiping, when you stop praying, when you stop being on fire because somehow in your mind, God has let you down. God is saying no what you fail to understand is that you're being governed by a law called retribution and everything is not retributive it's not always going to be like that sometimes you're going to suffer and you've got to keep serving God you're going to suffer and you've got to keep on worshiping God and you've got to prove you've got to prove that the reason why you're living for the Lord is not because all your family members are in the church or because you got a big bank account or because you got a position on your workplace hallelujah god what would happen if god came and took all of that away from us today everything well we would probably do what job did and we would begin to question what is going on here god we've been faithful to you we've served you with all our hearts and we're experiencing these difficulties in our life we don't understand it i'll tell you something be like Job said, all right, that's fine. I don't understand what's going on. I've, I know good should be happening to me, but I'm experiencing suffering and pain. But I'm still going to trust God. I'm going to believe God. Though He slay me, yet shall I trust Him. Hallelujah. Nine times out of ten, you give me somebody a saint that at one time they were happy and on fire and celebrating the presence of God and would give you a testimony about oh it's great living for the Lord I'm so happy now living for God and then one thing is taken from them just one thing that they love and all of a sudden they shut down the reason is because they put 
all their eggs in the basket of retribution that because I'm on God's side, God should be on my side. If I'm doing what's right, that means good should come, come to me just because of the right I'm doing. And I'm not doing anything wrong, so nothing bad should be coming to me. I want to tell you something, friend. You better take some eggs out of that basket and understand it's a lot more complex than that. I think, and again, it's okay for you to question God, the Odyssey, question God. God, I don't understand. I know you got all power and I know you love me, but you're leaving me in this thing and I'm suffering and there's evil and I don't understand how you're allowing that to continue. And, and listen, God never explained to Job the reason for his suffering. He never did explain that. When God gets ready to speak in chapter 38 through 42, He doesn't explain to Job why He went through that suffering. He doesn't tell Job about what went on in the heavens, how that Satan was challenging God's policy of retribution, that, that we serve Him for the wrong reasons. He didn't tell him any of that. He just showed up and He said, Job, where were you? when I laid the foundation of the world, when I created the heavens and the earth, and the morning stars sang, where were you? You weren't even there, Job. Hallelujah. God did not explain why Job suffered. God said, you just need to trust me. Trust my wisdom. What is really tricky here, though, is that when you trust his wisdom, then you recognize even though you don't understand and you can't pinpoint Him on every area of your life and say in every area of your life, God was just. If you trust Him, the fact that you trust Him says that you believe He's just. Even though you don't understand point by point by point what seems to be injustice in your life, you say, God, I'm going to trust your wisdom. See, God's not going to explain to you why things happen to you. He's not going to explain to you always why you're suffering or why you're going through what you're going through. And what he said is you've got to learn to trust His wisdom. He's greater than you. And He's greater than me. And for me to sit around in my human, finite mind to try to figure out God, why God allowed this and why God allows that, it's a waste of time. You have to learn to trust God at all times in the time of suffering, in the time of blessing, whatever is happening to you. And sometimes you're going to be tested and sometimes I'm going to be tested in the area of our motive. God declares you're righteous. God declares you're perfect. God declares you're His servant. God declares that you fear Him. But that doesn't mean that God is not going to come and allow the enemy sometimes to touch you and evil to touch you and suffering to test you to test your motive. That's why I tell you as your pastor, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're losing in your life, you've got to stay true to the living God. You've got to stay on fire. You've got to keep praising Him, keep worshiping Him, keep living for Him, and keep serving Him at all times. Because if you're not careful, when you start going through battles in your life, suffering in your life, and you're experiencing so much loss and you don't understand why you can backslide away from God trying to figure out why this is happening to me 
And God, I thought you loved me and I'm your child, but why is this happening to me? And so, Lord, I'll just quit and I'll just give up. Let me tell you something, my, my brothers and my sisters. God is an amazing God. You have to learn. Yeah, He's omnipotent. He loves me, I know. But sometimes He will allow me to suffer. It's not all about retribution. It's not all about... That's not the one that fits all the time. Is everybody with me here today? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Another of wisdom called the book of Ecclesiastes. A man, the Bible says, had everything given to him. He had wealth. His name was Solomon. He had wealth. Okay? Wealth. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. That means a woman forever night for about, what, three years? Okay, just, just sit there. You didn't hear that. Okay. Abundance in knowledge. Okay? Had everything under the sun given to him. And when he got, when everything was given to him, the Bible says, he said, I'm empty. He said, it's all vexation of spirit. He said, I'm an empty man. What I'm trying to tell you, brothers and sisters, if you have a price, what is that price? Because you can have everything. You can have a full bank account. You can have the woman of your dreams or the man of your dreams, so-called. You say, I could just get that man, that perfect man. Amen? Let me tell you something. There is no perfect man. You just want to, you don't want to get the wrong one. If I could just get that perfect woman. There is no perfect woman. You just don't want to get the wrong woman. My point is this. Is that if you're sitting there today and you're saying, okay, if this would change in my life, I'd be. What is it today for each one of you sitting here? That if it were to change right now instantly, if God would, would step in with His omnipotence and His love, and change that thing right now, would that satisfy you? Absolutely not. See, you think it would because you put your all of your baskets in the law of retribution. Are you with me? But if God stepped in and did that very thing right now that is a burden and a, and a cause for your suffering, there would be something else for you to complain about tomorrow. Because no matter how much God gives you and how much God gives me, it's vexation of spirit. Everything under the sun, it doesn't satisfy. It does not satisfy. A good friend of mine, he just happened to call me and I hear, I listen. I hear the vo heard the voice of God through the man today. He's not an apostolic, doesn't even believe in speaking in tongues, but he does know the Bible pretty well. And he just began to talk to me and I was talking a little bit about what I was going to preach tonight and he said this to me because he knows a little bit about what's happened because I've shared with him some things that have gone on, you know. Uh, I trust him. He's a trusted friend of mine. He's a very successful businessman in the world. Uh, he's, he's a friend of mine. I'll just put it to you that way. So he knows a little bit about what's going has been going on in my life. Even some of you don't even know. So he began to tell me this and he said this. He said, what if you had the perfect church. What if you had two, three hundred, five hundred, or a thousand people even? And he said, what if every one of them were perfect? What if every one of them 
wanted to come to church and couldn't wait to come to church and be faithful. Well, that kind of reminds me of some of y'all. So anyway. But he said, what if you had a perfect church like that? And after we talked about Ecclesiastes, he said it wouldn't satisfy me, would it? He said, no. It wouldn't satisfy me. Because as soon as we got the thousand that were perfect and couldn't wait to be in the house of God every service, then somebody would walk through the front door or the back door that would be a problem for me to deal with. So I would never be satisfied even with a thousand. Here's what he told me. He said, don't worry, don't get discouraged. He said, there's always, he said, you know what, sheep? He said, sheep, they're like this. He said, you're always going to have sheep that are looking through the fence to the other pasture. I mean, you know, seriously now, I'm thinking, well, that's right. They could be standing knee deep in beautiful grass, but they're looking through the fence at the other pasture and the grass might be that deep. Or there might not be any grass at all, but they're looking through the fence because they want to get over there through that fence. They want to go somewhere else. And I said, wow, man, you're blowing my mind. This is, this is the truth, man. Thank you. You are encouraging me. Would it make me happy if you, there were people who weren't constantly looking through the fence to another pasture? Yeah, it'd make me happy, but it wouldn't make me content. It would never satisfy. I'm just telling you, no matter how big your church is, it'll never satisfy. Are y'all with me? No matter how perfect the people are, you'll never be satisfied. That's what Ecclesiastes said. The only thing that will satisfy you is your walk with Jesus Christ, your walk with God, and to be faithful to Him. So what I'm trying to tell you, those of you, including myself sometime, when we're, we're leaning on the law of retribution, I deserve better than what I'm getting. If you got it, you still wouldn't be satisfied. If I just got an easier job, you wouldn't be satisfied with the easier job. When he said that, I go, man. I said, God's talking through you. He don't believe in speaking in tongues, but I can hear God talk, man. Hallelujah. It's amazing to me that some Baptist friends I have you know, they, they encourage me more than some of you wackos. I'm sorry. This, the blessed saints of God. I'm sorry, the sheep. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, 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 don't take that wrong. Well, man, where's my, where's my sheep? Where's, where's the church giving me words of encouragement like that? Amen? So bad, I'll take wisdom from any direct anybody. You know how it is when you're going through something? One thing about going through something, it prepares you to listen. It prepares you to hear something from God. If you're not going through anything, you're not going to listen anymore. But when you're going through something, it prepares you to hear from God. And when he said that to me, it doesn't matter how big your church is. It doesn't matter if people stopped leaving it or they stayed and they were perfect you would still not be satisfied. And I said, that's right. So what I'm trying to convey to you right now, brothers and sisters, this time of loss, this time of suffering, if you were to get it back, it wouldn't satisfy you. That means I need to be faithful to God at all times. 
you have this idea, well, if I live for God, He's just going to keep blessing me and no bad's going to come. It's going to come. Suffering's going to come. And what are you going to do then? How are you going to handle it? If you saw God as only a God of retribution. Hey, are y'all here? If you are, give God some praise in this house. Now, if you've never been through anything, I'm still preaching to you. Because if you've never been through anything for righteousness reasons, I'm not talking about because you made stupid decisions. I'm not talking about because you got out of the will of God. I'm talking about you did the right thing and still suffered for it. If that's you tonight, then you're hearing what I'm saying. And you can act all smug and holier than thou all you want to, but I'm telling you this is the Word of God. This is the Word of God to you. Amen. Now Job, when he gets through this time of suffering in his life, let's go to the end of the book. This is after God appears, shows up on the scene. And when Job sees God, and you, you don't. Have, I don't have time to preach it to you, but you start reading with there where the speech of God is, uh, there in chapter thirty-eight through forty-two. God never explains Himself. When he gets through, when Job gets through seeing God, he learns a lesson, and that is this: I must trust God. Amen. So he said in the latter part of Job in chapter 42 and verse 6, Wherefore I abhor myself. See, before he was questioning God, I'm righteous, Lord, and he was. God said he was. But I should be receiving good things, not bad things. I shouldn't be suffering if I'm a good man. Oh, really? When he sees God in His glory... In his wisdom, he changes his tune. Amen. When you really get the right perspective on God, you won't go and always, you know, plead your case for what you think should be happening in your life. When you get a right perspective on God, you say, God, really what I deserve is for you to squish me like a little worm. If you gave me what I deserve, you'd pick me up right now, you'd crush me, you'd kill me, and you'd throw me into hell if you gave me what I really deserve. If we saw God Almighty, we always wouldn't be complaining about why it's not going our way. Now listen, brothers and sisters, I'm no Job, but i got a right to preach, not just because I know the Word of God, but i got a right to preach tonight because of my life and some things I'm going through right now. That's why I can preach to you like I am. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to walk in this understanding of God. And I'm not self-righteous, but I'm going to keep praising Him. You need to get this. You need to get a hold of this. I remember one time, hallelujah, my grandfather was on his deathbed in a hospital room. He had cancer and he was about to die. And I could have said, I wasn't even pastoring then. I could have said, well, I'm not going to go to church. They had revival that night. And I said, I'm not going to church because my grandfather's about to die. You know what I did? I left the hospital room. I went straight to the revival. And when I got there, I didn't sat on the pew. I stood there and worshiped and danced before God Almighty. 
I'm telling you, some of your walk is not right. Because any little problem comes your way, and even a big problem, it shuts you down because you don't understand the greatness of your God. Any little inconvenience, any any little thing that happens sometimes, man, we fall apart. The American church is so weak and anemic because we live in that law of retribution. If I'm doing good, the better I do, the more good I am, the more good I should expect from God. And sometimes you do good and it gets worse and before it gets better. Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to prophesy over you. If you don't get a hold of this message tonight and use it to feed your soul and bring you to a place of repentance, you're not going to make it in Christianity because Christianity is fraught with all kinds of battles and all kinds of disappointments. And if you can't worship God, you're not going to worship Him when it gets really bad. You've got to learn to praise Him at all times. You've got to learn to walk with Him at all times. And I understand, you know, the Bible showing us here it's okay to question God, but don't you start fighting God. Don't attack God. You have, we have to trust Him, amen? And sometimes it's difficult to trust God. But I don't know about you, but I made up my mind a long time ago. I'm going to live for Him no matter what. I'm going to serve Him no matter what. I'm going to worship Him no matter what. And I know some of you who've gone through some things, but you haven't lost your love for God. You haven't lost your walk with God. You haven't lost your zeal for God. God bless you. I want to tell you why. Because there's a measure of God's revelation, grace that has come to you in the midst of your trial and has given you understanding that some other people don't have. And that God is God and God is wise. And I don't understand everything He's doing. And that's fine because I don't have to understand everything. But I know that God can still bless me even if I don't understand everything. Real quick. Real quick. Then the whole book of Job is God being put on trial by the enemy. God's policy of retribution is being put on trial here in this book. Questioning. Why people really serving? And the devil says it's because of what we get out of it. And the moment we that changes just a little bit and maybe a lot, that's when we stop serving him. That's the accusation of the enemy. That's what Joe's being tested. Again, he's not being tested about his righteousness, that he feared God, his perfection as a servant. He's being tested in the area of motive. You and I don't have Really, unless God reveals it to us, we don't have the ability to know what's going on in the heavens about our lives. We don't know the story that God is writing from our lives. We see it from a finute, small understanding. God has a big plan and a big reason for allowing us to go through what we go through. Hallelujah. Even when we don't understand it. And I know sometimes that's hard for you to swallow, but this is the Bible. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. 
just give you a quick example outside of the book of Job, a man by the name of David. I'm preaching to him uh, about him in the morning services and sometime the night services. Look at the life of David. When Saul was trying to kill him, God protected him. And then later on in David's life, God blessed him. And then after he sinned against Bathsheba, God exiled him. And then after God exiled him, he was restored. David didn't have any clue that when he was protected, when he was blessed, when he was exiled, and when he was restored, that his life was a microcosm, microcosm of the nation of Israel. That Israel was protected and blessed, but because of their idolatry, their adultery, they were cast into exile, but then God restored them. David would have had no idea that the phases of his life was a microcosm of the nation of Israel as a whole. That's why you have to trust the wisdom of the living God to take your life and let God write a book with it because you and I don't understand what God is saying by our life. That's why you've got to trust His wisdom at all times. So Job says in 42, in this epilogue here, the closing statements, he said, Wherefore I bore myself and repent and dust and ashes. In verse 7, it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For you have not spoken to me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. You see, you were trying to find secret sin in the life of Job based on the law of retribution. That Job, there must be something you've done in your life that's brought all of this on. Because there, there's a law of retribution. And Job says, no, I haven't done anything. I'm innocent about what you're accusing me of. And now God comes and He says, as He is restoring Job here, He says, you have not spoken correctly. You have not spoken me the thing that is right as my servant Job had. You have missed it completely. Oh, they thought they had it nailed down. But they didn't. And so God rebukes the friends. Amen. Verse 8. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job. See, again, at the end of the story, God still calls him a servant. That was never in question. And offer up for yourself a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that you have not spoken to me the thing which was right like my servant Job. He said, you bring some sacrifices you offered to me. He said, I'm going to deal with your foolishness. He's correcting them. I'm telling you, this man Job's life, his life, his walk, his, his fear of God, all of these things were intact from the beginning to the very end. And somebody came along and said, there must be something wrong for you to be going through this. And Job says, no, there's not, but I understand retribution. And then God says, I'm, gonna, I'm going to pour out my wrath upon you because you haven't spoken what is correct concerning my servant. Give God praise in the house. So anyway. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namanite. Hallelujah. Thomas Prepto, Mark House, Timothy Contreras, and Eli, who's not even in the picture, Bishop, sorry. 
You know, I'm just kidding, man. They weren't at the table last night. You know, we went out. We had a business meeting, you know, with the trustees and sat down and, and I ordered a certain thing from the menu. The waitress comes and says, after I ordered it, it's not available. We're out. And then waited about 10 minutes and she comes back again on another item and says, I'm sorry, we're out of that too. And I said, after she, I said, okay. So after she said, I said, well, that's, you know, that's the way it is for Job. And I said, this is Mrs. Job. And I said, Bill, Dad, and Eliphaz is sitting at the table with me. So it's just, it's, it's one of them kind of jokes, you know what I mean? It's, hallelujah. They're not really these people. But anyway, and I'm not really Job, thank God. I can't touch what that man went through. But so you understand. Job did not know when he was going through all of this that in the infinite wisdom of God someday God would show us what went on in the heavens. How that Satan was challenging the policies of God as to how he blesses the righteous. Hallelujah. Are y'all with me? Challenged whether or not the motive of that man was in the right place or not. Job didn't know that. But God wrote it all down so that you and I could learn about how God deals with us on a daily basis as His people. Sometimes we don't understand in daily life why God is allowing us to go through what we're going through. And God says, I'm going to show you something. It's not all about retribution. Amen. If you're good, it's not always going to be good for you. If you're bad, it's not always going to be bad for you. Let me show you how I deal with my people. It's about trusting in my wisdom at all times. Job didn't know we'd be reading his story. He didn't know we'd be preaching from it tonight. He didn't know his story would be a type of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. He did not know that his life was a picture of the church in the time called the Great Tribulation when the church would go through great suffering on this earth. He didn't know that. And I've preached it to you from a prophetic point of view in the past. Job didn't know any of that. But God took his life and what he went through as a microcosm of what the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ went through on the cross and what the church in the last days would go through. And you're a last day church, so you better get ready. You're a last day church, so we, we better get ready. Because there will, be, there will come to you suffering. And if you're not a hold of this message tonight, you will apostatize from the faith. You will. Because you'll say, where is the promise of His coming? I don't believe it. He's not. He said He was going to come, but He hadn't come back. You know. And uh, so, my Lord delays His coming. So you just you turn away from God. The Bible says in the last days, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. Whatever you do, brothers and sisters, in this time, you need to be informed of the season in which you live as a human being. You are in a time when so many people are apostatizing from the faith. And you and I have to be encouraged by the life of Job. Give the Lord a praise. Now watch. So after he rebukes his friends, then the Bible says that these men did what the Lord told them to do. In verse 10, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Look at this. Here's come the restoration. 
The Lord turned the captivity of Job when He prayed for His friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. The man made it through the test. He was found out to be righteous for the right reason. And God's policies of retribution is correct. But that is not the only thing that He works by in this very complicated world. And don't forget that. Amen? And so, He's rewarded with twice as much as He had before. Verse 11, Then came there unto Him all His brethren, all His sisters, and all they that had been of His acquaintance before, and did eat bread with Him in His house. And they bemoaned Him and comforted Him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon Him. Every man also gave Him a piece of money, and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and a 1,000 yoke of oxen and a 1,000 she-asses. He had also seven sons and three daughters. He called the name of the first Jemimah and the name of the second Keziah, the name of the third Karen Hapak. And all that the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this lived Job a hundred and forty years. He saw his sons, his sons, sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. See, God, God taught him that he had to trust in Him. And if you're righteous, sometimes you will suffer. In closing, I want to go to the New Testament book which speaks of suffering for the believer and bring you some insight as to why that we suffer according to the Word of the living God. Amen. Even when you are righteous before the Lord, Amen. you're going to suffer. In chapter 1, the first epistle of Peter, he is writing to a church that is going through great persecution at that time. Amen. And so obviously they, they would not understand if they believed in the law of retribution that here we are, we're on God's side. We're serving God. And we're being treated like we're His enemy. We're being treated like He's, an ad, he's our adversary. Not one that loves us not one who has power to come and stop the persecution. And they can't understand it. And so Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, says this, beginning with verse 6 of chapter 1, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptation. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now you see Him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. Not only does the Bible teach that the righteous are not always 
going to go through life with no suffering. The Bible very, very clearly teaches that the righteous will suffer. Unlike Job's conclusion that the righteous should not suffer, God says if you are righteous, you will suffer. And so the main thing is that you make it to the end, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. In chapter 2, let's go over there and look further. Chapter 2, verse 19, For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it when you be buffeted for your faults and you take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. See, when you're, when you're doing what's right, you're living right. But yet you experience suffering. And you endure that? God says that's what's acceptable to Him. Amen. Amen? And then He goes on. For what glory is it? If you, when you be buffeted for faults, we shall take it patiently. But if when you do dwell, do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. Notice, He didn't say Job is the example. He said Christ is the example. Job is only a type of Jesus Christ. Jesus was perfect. And they nailed Him to a tree. Jesus knew no sin. But he experienced the retribution of a sinner, which is the wrath of God. Now watch. He did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Verse 21, For even here too were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Amen. Amen. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. I want you to catch that. What he's saying is the pressures and the persecutions that they were going through, many of them were beginning to depart from the Lord. Okay? Now you can come, and I thank God you're here tonight, but you can come and sit on a chair and still be away from God. These people, they really were going through some suffering. Heavy, heavy suffering in their life. You and I have never gone through anything in comparison to Job or Jesus Christ or these people in the early church. And here's what He says. Who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your soul. 
He's the one that is in control of your emotions. He's the bishop of your soul. When you start suffering, you have to go, Lord, you are the bishop of my soul, the bishop of my emotions. Lord, I don't understand why this is happening, God. But I am going to trust your wisdom. And when I trust your wisdom, I will declare that what you're doing is just. Even though it doesn't make sense. When I know you got the power to stop it and you don't. When I know you love me, but you let me keep on suffering. Lord, you are the bishop of my soul. Oversee that word bishop. Oversee my emotion right now. Call upon Him in prayer and ask Him to help you through that time of difficulty that you're going through instead of departing from the Lord. And then in chapter 3, verse 7, verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, be of you one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Suffering in the daily life of the believer. The theology of suffering in the daily life. How do we handle it? When we're going through it, we don't render evil for evil. Railing for railing. Contrary wise blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye inherit a what? A blessing. You see what he's saying? That suffering can be a blessing. Contrary to your thinking and mine and Job's thinking, and his friend's thinking, that if you are righteous, you'll only receive good. God says, if you're righteous, when you suffer, that can be a blessing. You and I have to start having a different perspective on suffering in our lives. And when my friend called me today, he just basically called me out of the blue. I knew that was from God. And he was encouraging me. You know what happened to me? I instantly changed my perspective on everything. My perspective on what has happened in relationship to this church. My perspective on, in relationship to what is happening in my family right now. My perspective as a pastor and a human being changed. It changed instantly by one call from that man. And he didn't even know I was preaching on the book of Job. So now, my perspective is this is that when you suffer, it brings a blessing. And it doesn't always have to be something good. It can be something difficult. And so he goes on and he says this. Now I know maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but if you were where I was. Now watch. Verse 11. Verse 10. For he that will love life and see good days... Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensure it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is He that will harm you 
if you be followers of that which is good. But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. That is so powerful. Don't be afraid of Nero because he's not in charge. Don't be afraid of any person that's coming against you because they're not in charge. Jesus Christ is on the throne. He is in charge of my life and your life. So, and if you suffer for righteous sake, happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Amen? Because they're not in charge. There's a blessing in it. But Now, here it is. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let me keep reading. I'll come back to verse 15. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Okay? So we learn here that this suffering that comes to us when we do what is right brings blessings to our life. Jesus Christ is our example of going through suffering. Before you ever lift a finger to God and say, God, don't you care about what I'm going through? You remember that your Lord and Savior, they took Him and they crucified Him. And He was righteous. Amen? They reviled Him. They railed on Him. They spit on Him. They buffeted Him. And He was righteous. And so, blessing comes from it. But verse 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the hope. Amen. The reason of hope that is in you with meekness and fear. K. Scott Oliphant says this about this passage. He calls it the locus classicus, which means the classical place of apologetics. And what he means by this, this one statement, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. When you're going through a time of suffering, that's what you have to do. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. He says it is the classic place of apologetics. Now what that means is this, and I'm not trying to be fancy. I'm trying to tell you something very important. What he means by that apologetics means it is a part of our knowledge of God and it is the establishing of biblical faith. It's a part of our life. So what he is saying then that this verse, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What he's saying, he said that is the center of apologetics. He said that is the center of our understanding or having a knowledge of God and establishing a life of faith, our daily living. So when you are suffering, understand that's a part of being a Christian. That this is what happens to Christians in this world. Christians suffer because they're Christians. Amen. Y'all with me? And when you're going through that, 
It says sanctify the Lord God. It doesn't mean make Him the Lord. He is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord whether you believe it or not. We're not making Him the Lord. It says sanctify the Lord in your heart. That means don't try to change who you are as a believer. The heart is the innermost part of your being. He's telling you, live as a Christian. Because that's who you are. Don't let the suffering change you into something you're not. Let Jesus rule in your heart from within you. Serve Him. Sanctify Him. Set Him apart as the Lord. That means, God, I'm suffering right now, but I'm going to sanctify You as the Lord in my heart. I'm going to say, God, I don't understand what I'm going through, but that doesn't change the fact that You're the Lord on the throne. That doesn't change the fact, Lord, tonight that I know, even according to the book of Revelation, that You're sitting upon a throne, the throne of the universe. And so, Lord, I call You the One that's on the throne. I call You the One that is in charge. I call You the Lord of my life. And I will live for You as a believer and as a Christian. I will continue to serve You because that's who I am. From my innermost being, that's who I am. And I'm not going to try to act different. I'm not going to try to be different in a time of suffering. I'm going to be who I am. From the inside. And that is a true born again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply means this. You've decided that no matter what you go through. That he's in charge of everything. And you're going to stop living in this mindset. Which boxes God into retribution. That if you're good. Only good's going to come to you. You're going to accept that if you're good, suffering's going to come to you as well. And that's a blessing. And Jesus is in charge. Nobody else is in charge. Amen. He's in my heart today. And I'm going to live as a believer. Amen. That's what that means. And then let's go to chapter 4 as I close. He says this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when His glory shall be revealed you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ happy are you for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, and on their part He is evil spoken of, but on your part He is glorified. So your suffering is a blessing if it's done in righteousness. And your suffering, when it's, when it's right, is you begin to recognize God is Lord in my life. And I will continue to serve you. As my Lord, listen, 
in the Word of God from the beginning of Genesis chapter 3 after the fall of man. God steps in and defends His character and His attributes. Because God put man in a perfect environment with no need for any redemptive need for man to approach God. He could approach God with no need of redemption and worship and serve Him. But even with no need of redemption or salvation from sin before chapter 3, God still stooped down, which means condescended to man in order to be in fellowship with man. Man didn't have anything to do it, do with it. Even in a state of innocence, God still stooped down to be in a relationship with Him. It's called the condescension of God. And what I'm trying to tell you is this, is that if God comes to us, it's by mercy and by grace, even before the fall. And then after the fall, God moved into an adversarial role against sin that was now in man. But He came to die on a cross to redeem us so that we can worship God in spirit and in truth. But it's still by mercy and grace that He comes to you and lives inside of you and has fellowship with you on a daily basis. You don't deserve anything. And I don't deserve anything but His wrath. And I'm not worthy of His presence. I'm not worthy to be in fellowship with this great God. He comes and condescends. He initiates the whole process. So we should always be thankful no matter what we're going through in life for the fact that God stooped down and allowed me to be in fellowship with Him. Amen? And for the handful of you tonight who has received the Word of the Lord, God bless you. Because some of you are out there, man. You know, And I love you, but you are out there big time. So I don't know what it's going to take for you you know, to get in this place where you need to understand that uh, no matter what you do, how you live, you know, no matter how righteous you are, sometimes that means it could get really, really tough. Really tough. I told my wife just the other day, I said, Christina, you got to understand something. You look in the Word of God. God allowed 85 priests to be slain by Saul. He allowed it. The murder of them. God allowed the nation of Israel to be taken into captivity. Amen? Because of their sin and idolatry. He took on an adversarial role against them. And I told my wife this. I said, we cannot hold God accountable. We can't put Him in a box and say, Lord, this is the way it's got to be. Because it could all, God could step in and I'm telling you, He could allow things to happen to me he could allow things to happen to her. We could go down. And then you look and say, how did that happen? If God was really with us, then how could that happen? You don't understand. It can happen. I'm just telling you, I'm preaching the Word of God to you. I'm asking you to pray for me and my wife. We're that close of being taken down. Okay? That close. By the enemy. And I appreciate each and every one of you but I'm just telling you that if you think it's just automatic, that the retribution of God is automatic, that only good is going to come to the good, you better wake up. 
Because sometimes bad things happen to the good, to the righteous. And we better start praying like we've never prayed before. Okay? And what I'm telling you, it's not so much about human beings. It is a spiritual battle. And this spiritual battle that we have been fighting as your pastors for a long time has swept into this church over and over and over again. And I'm praying that you don't allow yourself to be deceived and to be pulled out. Amen? Because we are in a huge battle right now. Whatever happens to me, whatever happens to my wife, as far as ministry is concerned, we're always going to serve Him. Amen? And I really shouldn't be telling you this, but I don't know how much longer I'm going to be pastoring. Okay? Because it's taken its toll on me and my wife on a level that you have no clue. If you care, if you care, I would say change your attitude. If you care. And I'm not saying everybody, some of you are where you need to be. But some of you, your attitude stinks. It stinks. And you take the things of God for granted. You take the ministry for granted. You take everything for granted. And I'm just telling you, it's taking a toll on us. Amen? So, you don't have to accept it, but I'm just telling you and I'm being real with you. And I'm not threatening you and I'm not making up stuff and I'm not dramatizing anything. I'm just telling you. Okay? That we have just about had it. And if it wasn't for calls from my friends outside of this church, I probably wouldn't even still be here. But they don't even go here. But they have more encouraging words from me than you do. So I'm not in a good place. I'm just telling you, my wife is not in a good place at all. And we have fought and fought and fought for some of you for years and years and years. And you don't want to fight for yourself. And it gets a little bit old and a little bit tiring to fight for people that don't want to fight. For those of you who want to, may the Lord bless you real good. But I'm just being real with you and I'm being honest with you today. If you care, you better start paying, praying for your pastor. If you, if you care, you better start amen, having the right attitude toward your pastor. Because you may find out. I will say this to you. I will never leave you unless God says go. Okay? I'll never do it. But a little over a year ago, I believe I heard the Lord tell me to leave. Before all of this stupidity began to take place in this church, okay, I believe the Lord told me to leave. It wasn't a mandate. It wasn't God saying, if you don't leave, you're in disobedience. I chose to stay. God told the Apostle Paul to not go to Jerusalem. When you go there, when you go there, they're going to bind you. You're going to become a prisoner. Paul went anyway. Okay? I am, what I'm saying to you is the Lord has already, I believe, released me from this house. Maybe that's because of me. Maybe it's because of you. But I have chosen and my wife has chosen to be here because we love you and we want to serve God. But I can't serve God in the capacity of pastor unless you want to be sheep. 
okay? Unless you want the Word of God that's being preached here and you're going to live by it, amen, instead of, you know, finding an excuse. For sitting on the pew and not worshiping and not praying and not living for Him anymore because you know you didn't get your way. I'm just telling you, and I'm not trying to beat you up and I'm not trying to make you afraid. I'm being honest with you tonight. That's where I am. Okay? So, I believe what I preach to you. But don't be surprised. Within the next few weeks, you hear a statement from me. That is how many. I don't want to, but if you were in my shoes almost every day and night of my life, I hear this word you need to leave. I am telling you, I am fighting to stay. And my wife is fighting to stay. Am I right, Sister Christina? We are fighting to stay. And it shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't have to be fighting to stay. You say, well, pastor, we stay. Yeah, but it's different. You're not the pastor. You're, you're not the one that has to stand up and preach to people who don't care. And give it everything you got and it's still not good enough. So, you don't know the battle that we're in. And I'm telling you that. I'm telling you this. I'm telling you to pray for me and my wife. I'm not telling you this to go out there and gossip to my enemies and tell them, yeah, you won. No, they would never win. I would never leave unless God had released me. But there is, there were five families. I told you, the Lord told me there were five families going to leave this church. And I knew who they were. Some of them didn't. Some of them are still here, but eventually five plus went. But I want to tell you, the first one the Lord showed me was the first one out the door. And I told them when they left. And that was about a year ago. I said, God told me to leave. But I stayed. So you can never accuse me of not caring. Because I stayed even when I believed God told me to, to go. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean, again, I'm not in disobedience to God, but God knows everything. But that's how much I care about you, that I would stay even when I believe the Lord had already released me. That's how much I care about you. Okay? So I would appreciate, you know, at least some respect. 
Okay? At least some appreciation. Not necessarily for myself, but for at least the things of God. Right? Amen. So we're having a real tough time, Brother Timothy. I just don't need you to be strange on me. Don't be strange on me, okay? Let me just make up your mind one way or the other. Either be here or be gone. Just just make up your mind one way or the other. It's, it's not doing anybody any good for you to be divided in heart. Because okay? I can I can study and I can preach and I can try to get you out of your battles, but if you don't want to get out of your battles, there's nothing I can do about it. Okay? Okay, so anyway. I'll probably regret it when I get home. You know, telling you this, but that's where it is. Okay. And uh, all I can say is, I don't want to go, and I'm fighting to stay, and so is she. Okay. Okay, amen. So when you come and you sit there and you just refuse to get the victory, buckle down, man. Tighten your seat there. Hold your arm. You're pushing me out the door. Because I can't work with that. I'm preaching to you a Jesus. I'm preaching to you a gospel that the only way it works if it's responded to. And if it's not responded to, I'm wasting my time. Okay? It has to be responded to by me and by you. If you don't respond and you just sit there, I'm just telling you, you're pushing me out the door. You don't even have to vote. You don't even have to vote. Okay. Sister Christine, would you come here, please? Would, would, I want you, if you don't mind, church, Bishop, and I want you to cut this part off of the tape. There ain't no sense for the world to know this, but will you come and will you, would you just share your heart with them? You don't have to get, if you don't want to, I'm not going to force you to say things you don't feel led.